0: SECTION twenty-one of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. FINAL REPORT of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments Ethics of Human Subjects Research, a Historical Perspective, Chapter 3, Part 2 public attention is galvanized willowbrook and tuskegee from 1956 to 1972 dr Saul krugman of new york university led a study team at the willowbrook state school for the retarded on staten island new york the study was not secret or hidden it was one of the twenty two projects beecher discussed as ethically troublesome in his nineteen sixty six article the willowbrook study was discovered by the media beginning in the late nineteen sixties and was the subject of further discussion of the case in separate places by beecher theologian paul ramsey and physician stephen goldby noting the high incidence of hepatitis among the residents of the school nearly all of whom were profoundly mentally impaired children and adolescents krugman and his colleagues injected some of them with a mild form of hepatitis serum The researchers justified their work on the grounds that the subjects probably would have become infected anyway, and they hoped to find a prophylaxis for the virus by studying it from the earliest stages of infection. Before beginning the work, Krugman discussed it with many physician colleagues and sought approval from the Armed Forces Epidemiological Board, which approved and funded the research and the executive faculty of the new york university school of medicine who approved the research a review committee for human experimentation did not exist in 1955 but later when such a committee was formed it too approved the research according to krugman the parents of each subject signed a consent form after receiving a detailed explanation of the research without any pressure to enroll their child some critics argued that the content of the consent form was itself deceiving since it seemed to say that the children were to receive a vaccine against the virus moreover charges of coercion arose it is alleged that the parents who enrolled their children in the study were initially offered more rapid admission to the school through the hepatitis unit and later found due to overcrowding that the only route for admission of new patients was through the hepatitis unit commentators further argued that the fault in the doctor's study lay in their deliberate attempt to infect the children with or without parental consent as opposed to studying the course of the disease in children who naturally became sick soon after willowbrook another research project the tuskegee syphilis study provoked widespread public outcry when it was revealed the study had exposed people to unnecessary and serious harm with no prospect of direct benefit to them. Beginning in 1932, public health service physicians sought to trace the natural history of syphilis by observing some 400 African-American men affected by the disease and another group of approximately 200 African-American men without syphilis serving as controls all the subjects lived in or around tuskegee alabama originally designed to be a short-term study in the range of six to eight months some researchers successfully argued that the potential scientific value of longer-term study was so great that the research ought to go on indefinitely the subjects were enticed into the study with offers of free medical examinations Many of those who came from around the area to be tested by government doctors had never had a blood test before and had no idea what one was. Once selected to be subjects in the study, the men were not informed as to the nature of their disease or of the fact that the research held no therapeutic benefit for them. Subjects were asked to appear for special free treatments, which included purely diagnostic procedures, such as lumbar punctures, By the mid-1940s, it was becoming clear that the death rate for the infected men in the study was twice as high as for those in the control group. This was the period in which penicillin was discovered, and soon after began to be used to treat syphilis, at least in its primary stage. The study was reviewed by public health service officials and medical societies, and reported by a number of journals from the early 1930s to 1970 in the nineteen sixties a growing number of criticisms began to appear although the study was not stopped until nineteen seventy three thus men with a confirmed disease were not told of their diagnosis and were deceived into participating in the study under the guise of its being therapeutic for unspecified maladies in addition to exposing the subjects to the additional harms of participation in the study the false belief that treatment was being administered prevented the subjects from otherwise seeking medical care for their disease as at willowbrook a justification given after the fact for the research was that the disease had appeared in a way that was natural and inevitable and that the study would be of immense benefit to future patients over this forty-year history at least twenty-eight participants died and approximately one hundred more suffered blindness and insanity from untreated syphilis before the study was stopped. In 1972, an account of the study was published on the front page of the New York Times. In response, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare appointed the Tuskegee Syphilis Study Ad Hoc Panel to review the Tuskegee study, as well as the Department's policies and procedures for the protection of human subjects the work of the ad hoc panel which consisted of physicians a university president a theologian an attorney and a labor representative contributed in large measure to the passage of the first comprehensive regulations for federally sponsored human subjects research one member of the ad hoc panel who is also a member of the advisory committee j katz expressed his dismay over the unwillingness or incapacity of society to mobilize the necessary resources for treatment at the beginning of the study and the deliberate efforts of the investigators to obstruct the opportunity for treatment despite the fact that the public health service policy for the protection of human subjects had been in place for six years by the time the tuskegee study was revealed it was exposed by a journalist rather than by the review committee although an institutional committee had allegedly reviewed the tuskegee study the study was not discontinued until after the recommendation of the ad hoc panel the human rights abuses of the tuskegee study demonstrated the need for both prior and ongoing review in that the study had been undertaken before prior review requirements were in place and the prevailing review policies during the period of the study were so flawed that the study was allowed to continue as a result of their deliberations the ad hoc panel found that neither the department of health education and welfare nor any other agency in the government had adequate policies for oversight of human subjects research the panel recommended that the tuskegee study be stopped immediately and that remaining subjects be given necessary medical care resulting from their participation the panel also recommended that congress establish a permanent body with the authority to regulate at least all federally supported research involving human subjects in summary the panel concluded that despite the lessons of nuremberg the jewish chronic disease hospital case and the declaration of helsinki human subject research oversight and mechanisms to ensure informed consent were still inadequate and new approaches were needed to adequately protect the rights and welfare of human subjects congressional response to the abuses of human subjects the national research act public attention to abuses such as those inflicted on the subjects of the tuskegee study increased during the late nineteen sixties and early nineteen seventies following the initial revelations about the tuskegee syphilis study several bills were introduced in congress to regulate the conduct of human experimentation in february 1973 senator edward kennedy held hearings on these bills the tuskegee study experimentation with prisoners children and poor women and a variety of other issues related to biomedical research and the need for a national body to consider the ethics of research and advancing medical technology After the hearings, Senator Kennedy introduced an unsuccessful bill to create a National Human Experimentation Board, as recommended by the Tuskegee Syphilis Study Ad Hoc Panel. When it became clear, however, that the bill would not be successful, Senator Kennedy introduced the bill that would become the National Research Act, endorsing the regulations about to be promulgated by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare and establishing the national commission for the protection of human subjects of biomedical and behavioral research in return for dhew's issuance of human subject research regulations the trade-off was clear no national regulatory body in return for regulations applying to the research funded or performed by the government agency responsible for the greatest proportion of human subject research this meant that the goal of oversight of all federally funded research would not be achieved and that whatever oversight did exist was left to the funding agencies rather than to an independent body on may thirtieth nineteen seventy four dhew published regulations for the use of human subjects in the federal register these regulations required that each grantee institution form a committee what became known as an institutional review board or irb to approve all research proposals before they were passed to dhew for funding consideration these committees were charged with reviewing the safety of the proposals brought to them as well as the adequacy of the informed consent obtained from each subject prior to participation in the research additionally the regulations defined not only the procedure for obtaining informed consent but substantive criteria for it as well shortly after the announcement of the dhew regulations in july 1974 the national research act was passed and with it came the establishment of the national commission the national commission charged with advising the secretary of dhew though the national research act did not require the secretary to follow the commission's recommendations existed over the next four years and published seventeen reports and appendix volumes during its tenure the commission did pioneering work as it addressed issues of autonomy informed consent and third-party permission particularly in relation to research involving vulnerable subjects such as prisoners children and people with cognitive disabilities it was also charged with examining the irb system and procedures for informed consent as background for proposing guidelines that would ensure that basic ethical principles were instituted in the research oversight system and in research involving vulnerable populations in the course of its deliberations the commission identified three general moral principles respect for persons beneficence and justice as the appropriate framework for guiding the ethics of research involving human subjects these three are known as the belmont principles because they appeared in the belmont report one of the commission's major publications the national commission was required to examine the nature and definition of informed consent as well as the adequacy of current practices in its reports the commission decisively argued that the basic justification for obligations to obtain informed consent is the moral principle of respect for persons this emphasis on respect for persons meant a great premium was put on autonomous decision-making by the research subject an emphasis that continues to the current day while it may not have been the intent of those who sponsored it the national research act because it was limited to dhew funded research did not ensure that all federally sponsored research would be subject to requirements for informed consent and prior review nonetheless by this time as was described below published policies within the department of defense the atomic energy commission the veterans administration and nasa did meet these requirements The passage of the National Research Act and the promulgation of DHEW's regulations were important milestones in the development of federal standards for the protection of human subjects of research. They represented the first national recognition of the need to protect human subjects. Moreover, they attempted to provide for that protection through the IRB requirement and the establishment of the National Commission, the advisory committee's charter requires that it examine the standards for research between 1944 and 1974 these two landmark events in 1974 ushered in a new era in which the conduct and oversight of biomedical experimentation with humans remained a topic of national scrutiny and debate eventually the approaches required by the 1974 dhew regulations would be applied to nearly all federally funded human research as described in chapter fourteen the development of requirements for human subject research in other federal agencies the history and evolution of human subject research policy in the federal government is well documented for the department of health education and welfare However, many other agencies, most notably the military services, have important but less well-documented and less well-studied histories. Some of this history is described in Chapter 1 of this report. Here we continue with a brief treatment of that history in the context of the evolution of human subject research policy. Army Policy In 1962, the Army, for the first time, issued as a formal regulation, Army Regulation AR70-25, the 1953 policy embodied in the Wilson Memorandum. The regulation made explicit, as the 1953 Department of Defense and Army policies had only left implicit, basic issues about the scope of the DoD's rules, Unlike the Wilson Memorandum, the new regulation applied to all types of research, not simply that related to atomic, biological, or chemical warfare. However, the regulation specifically excluded clinical research—that is, the research likely to be performed with patients at the Army's many hospitals— in 1963 an ad hoc committee of army and civilian personnel concluded that the rule applied where research was done by contractors however tracer research which arguably posed minimal risk was excluded despite the committee's recommendations no immediate changes were made to the regulation in 1963 however the army issued a regulation for radioisotope use that required local institutions to convene review committees and obtain approval from the Secretary of the Army, pursuant to AR-70-25, when radioisotopes were to be used with volunteer experimental subjects. The regulatory void apparently persisted until 1973, when another rule, AR-40-38, Medical Services Clinical Investigation Program, closed the gap that rule clearly applied to any person who may be at risk because of participation in clinical investigation including patients and normal individuals it required that subjects of research be given an explanation of the proposal in understandable language and sign a volunteer agreement moreover clinical research with patients as well as healthy people was to be reviewed by a human use committee navy policy as we saw in chapter one the navy had required oral consent from research volunteers since at least 1951 some evidence suggests that written consent was required in the mid-1960s in a 1964 proposal to study the effects of hypoxia on service personnel it is indicated that assigned consent to voluntarily participate in research experiment NMRI Form 3 would be used. In 1967, a clear requirement for written consent appeared in the Navy's Medical Department Manual. It is unclear whether the policy drew a distinction between research on patients and research on healthy subjects. In 1969, in any event, the Secretary of the Navy issued a comprehensive policy requiring written informed consent of research subjects, which appeared to cover both groups. Air Force Policy In 1965, the Air Force promulgated AFR 169-8, Medical Education and Research, Use of Volunteers in Aerospace Research, which required voluntary and written informed consent from all subjects in any research development test and evaluation that may involve distress pain damage to health physical injury or death as such it seems inclusive of both healthy and patient subjects updating the language of the nuremberg code's first principle The policy was based on the idea that the voluntary informed consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Additionally, the regulation provided for the appointment of a committee to review all human research proposals at each originating facility. NASA Policy The National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, created in 1958, inherited staff and research expertise from the Department of Defense and other federal agencies. Before 1968, local centers at which research using isotopes was conducted, notably the Ames Research Center and the Manned Spacecraft Center, MSC, were essentially autonomous. Each center established medical use subcommittees as required by AEC rules. Reorganization within NASA in 1968 combined the medical operations functions and the medical research functions at MSC into one Medical Research and Operations Directorate, headed by Dr. Charles A. Berry. By 1968, Ames had a policy of requiring informed consent. By definition, of course, the work of astronauts is frequently risky and experimental, the question of the proper boundary between experimental and occupational activities was one that could not be drawn easily consequently the policy authorized the director of Ames to waive the consent requirement in several instances including when obtaining consent would seriously hamper the research or when test pilots or astronauts were involved between 1968 and 1970 prior review for risk and subject consent was adopted at Ames in the form of the Human Research Experiments Review Board, and indirectly at the MSC in accordance with the AEC requirements for a Medical Use Committee. In 1972, the prior review provisions and consent requirements of Ames and the MSC were reformulated in a NASA-wide policy this policy required voluntary and written informed consent from subjects prior to participation the policy continued to provide waivers for exceptional cases as in the Ames policy and did not apply to research conducted by nasa contractors or grantees the development of nasa's policies like those at the public health service national institute of health and the department of defense appeared at a time when the public was becoming increasingly interested in biomedical research. In contrast with the 1940s and 1950s, bureaucratic developments during the 1960s and 1970s were mirrored by growing public debate about the adequacy of protections for human subjects. End of section 21. Recording by Maria Casper.